Hi, everyone, and welcome to Autism Conversations, a podcast by the Autism Programs at the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability. I am Lynn Wilson, and I'm happy to be here as your facilitator for today's podcast titled Things You Wish You Knew, Self-Advocate Perspectives on Transitioning to Adulthood. Today, I'll be talking with a panel of autistic self-advocates who will share things they wish they knew as they themselves transition to adulthood. While uniquely their own, together, their stories will offer insights and opportunities for learning. And we hope that this conversation will support you on your own journey. Now, I'd like to introduce our panelists. Please help me welcome Ella Sheva Levin, Joshua Gibbons, Katie Redman and Daniel Ekman. Um, I'm gonna ask you all to tell me a little bit more about yourselves, but first of all, thank you all for being here today and let's get into it. Um, Elisheva, can you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Elisheva Levin. I'm probably the oldest autist sitting here because I'm in my 60s and um, I found out I had autism when my son was diagnosed when I was in my late 40s. And I'm really happy to be here. I think I have a different perspective just simply because of the era in which I grew up. Great, thank you so much, Alishava. <clears throat> Joshua, can you give us a little of your background as well? Yes. Hi, my name is Joshua Gibbons. I am 24 and I'm currently working at the Loma Colorado Library, a job I enjoy. I was diagnosed when I was in middle school mm-hmm. and I I spent most of high, most of high school um learning more and more about myself and what I wanted to do and how I view, and how I view the world through my own eyes. And I've been, I've used that to help um, further um, look for what I wanted, what I wanted to do and what, and what my interests were and why I am who I am. So I really, I really enjoy uh, being here and being able to talk about it. Great. Thanks so much, Joshua. Mm -hmm. Katie, can you tell us a little more about yourself? Yeah, and just to echo, it's truly a pleasure to be here. Um, so I am coming to you from uh, the Denina, Denina land, also known as Anchorage, Alaska, where I currently live. But I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And um, I was diagnosed when I was five years old uh, at a time in the early 90s when there was not uh, any uh, supports or specific autism programs. And it was very, um, rare for women to be diagnosed. So I've had this very interesting perspective of coming from where there were no resources and I had to teach everybody what autism was to now there's so many opinions on what autism is, um, as more and more people are getting diagnosed as they're older. Um, my career background, uh, I have a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in public health, Uh, And I've worked in global health until COVID broke out, and um, I'm still in public health, um, and I'm about to start a job supervising cancer grants um, for a tribal health organization. So, um, but very happy to be here and always grateful for this really important conversation. So. Great. Thanks for being here with us today. We appreciate that. Um, And Daniel, can you please tell us a little more about yourself? 
Sure. My name is Daniel Ekman. Uh, I'm in my late 30s. I was diagnosed pretty early on at about age two and a half. At the time, I lived in the Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. um, had a lot of different um, kind of interventions and things. But as Katie mentioned at the time, autism was something that there wasn't a lot known about. And there were a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes and preconceived ideas that people had. I know for my parents, they had to um, do things that at the time were considered alternative uh, therapies, but now are kind of more accepted, but at the time definitely were not. Um, I would say my own self-discovery, I mean, obviously throughout your whole life, you discover yourself, but really it started, I think after I went to, maybe when I went to college, even after that is when I started thinking more about um, how does autism affect who I am? and the way I do things and the way I think. Um, I knew I had autism throughout my whole life, but I really didn't, I don't think, dove into it that much until I was older. So uh, that's my background. I work at the Developmental Disabilities Council. I've got a master's in special education. Um, that And that's pretty much me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. We appreciate you joining us today. Um, and that's all of our, our amazing panelists. And um, we're gonna go right into some questions that we have prepared for you all today. Um, first one being, um, how do I know what I have to do on my own and what my family can help with? How can my family contribute to, the quali to my quality of life? And are there things that you prefer they not do? What impact can they have? And uh, we're gonna start with Elisheba. Hi, and I'm just going to add, since everybody else gave their uh, kind of resume also, that um, I'm a senior research scientist working for the University of New Mexico School of Medicine, Center for Development and Disability. And I work on the autism grants and um, all the autism work that we do there. Awesome. And, um, as far as how my, my problems came because I didn't know why I was different. And um, when I is particularly when I started, you know, junior high, high school, even, I knew I was different. I didn't understand how, and I didn't understand how to relate to the people around me. And for these reasons, and because I really like everything spelled out, I, I like it when people tell me exactly what is what, I had to deal with assumptions, assumptions that people made about me and assumptions I was making about the world. And so what I would have so appreciated was knowing why I was different. Um, and not understanding it. I know sometimes people don't like to get a diagnosis, but the problem for me was without one, I couldn't understand why things weren't working for me. Um, at, at okay, I think um, Elisheva's internet may be in and out with us. Um, today, so we're just gonna go and roll with the roll with the punches here. And um, 
Oh, there we go. You cut out a little bit, Elisheva. Could you uh, repeat the last sort of half of what you just um, we just talked about? Okay. I I um, what I was saying was I had a really difficult time, um, you know, in managing myself, understanding how to relate to other people, and in all of the work I was doing in. Um, you know, in, in going to college particularly. And uh, for that reason, I ended up being a person who had three minors <laughs> and no major when I was a junior in, in, in college. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that was back in the late seventies, um, early eighties, right in that period. And I didn't understand why people knew things without having it spelled out, um, because I like things spelled out. So um, I'm here to say that I appreciate and want to help um, the younger generations have a smoother ride um, in, in coming into adulthood. As far as my family, um, it's interesting because I was the very first woman to go to college at all. And um, I, I didn't get a lot of help in understanding how to go to college. And, you know, now a lot of universities have and colleges have programs um, for people when they're the first in their family to, to be there at a university or a college. And, and I didn't have any of that. So my family tried to help me, you know, um, and I would sometimes just go home just to get away from all the social stuff going on in the dorm and everything. But, um, but they really, at that time, didn't understand why it was so hard for me. Thank you so much for that, Elisheva. Um, that's a really great insight. Appreciate that. Um, Joshua, can you um, can you respond to our question? Um, yes. Uh, th there are um, honestly, there's a lot that I do not know how to do on my own, and I do I do have um. Sorry, let me decide over this questions. I've been thinking about this question a lot. And there's there's is no really one true way to, to answer it. Um there there are a lot of things that I don't know how to do my own. And there are a lot of things I'm still learning about. But my family can definitely help by mostly by communicating, telling me what yeah. worked for them. And and finding what works for me and trying to integrate the, those two together. It's like using one method. It's, it's like taking both methods of how things work and then ma making them so they work for everyone, mm -hmm. like trying to find a compromise in how things work. And I, I have to say, um, it, it, it is not easy. It's sometimes difficult, but it's if you find something that works, it, it can be done. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Joshua. You're welcome. 
Katie, um, do you have any thoughts? Quite a few. Um, it's a big question. Um, so yeah, really I will is. try to hit on all four aspects. Okay. I do want to do a quick disclaimer and say that every person and every family is different. So I know Lynn did a good job of saying that at the beginning, but I want to reinforce that whenever we're giving advice, especially with this question, because the way that you know is exactly what Joshua just said. You ask, you have a conversation and you keep having a conversation because things like finances can change really quickly. Um, on life circumstances. Um, but the way that you'll know what your family or what your loved ones are able to find those are to offer sports, whether it's an extra guest room, whether it's, you know, finances, what the expectations are, is that you have those conversations. For me, I have found that trying to do tasks or trying to make an attempt or starting a task has helped with my family dynamics um, and gives has given my family confidence, even when they've had to step in um, and everyone was brave enough to give their their age. So I'll just give you some context that um, my birthday will be is a week from Saturday. I'll be 31. Uh, and so I uh, have three younger siblings. And when I was entering adulthood, they were about to enter um, teenagerdom. And I was realizing, oh, well, they need the same emotional supports because autism teenager was not a fun stage for my family. Um, probably a lot of people could relate. And so I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, it's hard for everybody. So I wanted to make sure that my siblings had that support. And as I've gotten older, when my grandparents have started to um, decline um, and, and to pass away, my parents had to worse some of the more um, involved ones out of their siblings. But so two examples of like stepping in and trying to help with tasks. Um, so it took me a while to learn how to do emails, for example. So when you have to get like internships and jobs, it is so hard to figure out um, social cues via text. And so I really had to learn how to, um, yeah, my, my parents would review my emails for the first couple of years in college just to see for tone and give me feedback. And then I eventually got that skill down um, to the point that when I was 26, I cold called a professor in Namibia and that wound up getting a, a grant um, to a country that I had never worked in before for research. And I didn't get there though. It was continuous practice and a lot of feedback. And then even this past week, as I mentioned, I'm about to start a new job. I was trying to look for, um, I had like 27 health insurance plans for this new job to, to pick from. And taxes are things that I still need help on, but I try them at least. I look at the things and then I ask specific questions for my parents or um, other people in my life. And the other thing I want to challenge with this question is, uh, your family never really did it by themselves. Like it, it, try to find your village and try to find other people and supports because if my parents couldn't help, if they weren't skilled enough to do taxes, if they were too busy, there are other resources, there are other people um, around, um, you know, and especially like I alluded to, I've leaned more on friends for emotional needs um, than my parents uh, as I've gotten older because I've realized that they've had to do um, with their own personal needs. Um, I also wanted to share like some things that my family did well that really set me up for adulthood and to give them credit because like I mentioned, we were in an age where we were basically experimenting. We didn't know what would work. There were no supports for um, women on the spectrum. Um, and so they never made me the victim. And that was sometimes that's sometimes been a challenge with 
navigating adulthood because there are barriers with ableism that I've had to deal with in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, never feeling sorry for myself, never making me feel like this burden that I'm an autistic um, or have a disability. They've always supported my dreams and goals. They didn't have like this pre um, that I was predestined to be a doctor or an engineer like my dad. And I think that's just good parenting outside of autism. Mm -hmm. So they had no desire to go to Africa and they're, you know, they were always very supportive of like helping me between stints. Um, again, that extra gesture I alluded to earlier <laughs> um, between visas, um, helping navigate doctors to get medical clearance. Um, mm -hmm. They also do support my boundaries. So uh, like autism, U.S. Christmas is my autistic nightmare with all the social expectations and overstimulations. And so um, they respect that I sometimes might not come home for the holidays and it's not like this strike against me as a bad family member um, and just realizing those pieces. Something that I wish that we knew before I entered adulthood was comparing my development to my siblings or other people. On developmental stages, when you get to be an adult, they're landmarks, not campsites. Um, and so I used to feel bad. It's like, okay, well, I'm 25 and I haven't met my life partner or I haven't gotten my degree yet at this age or I learned how to drive in my late, you know, late 20s. Um, you know, and there's just, it's all in what makes you comfortable and adulthood looks different for every single person. That's what my siblings have taught me. Um, but there is some grief involved when your siblings reach milestones and those life skills um, ahead of you. Um, and it can be really frustrating. Um, but in the end, your family can either have a positive impact or a negative impact. Um, and I think also seeing how my parents led a life outside of autism and not letting autism or being the child of a, of a disabled child define their life. They're high school sweethearts and they've always maintained really healthy friendships um, with their um, with their former classmates. Like there's an entire group from their high school class and we're friends with their their kids friends and so like that's one of the best things that a parent or a family member could model to make a child successful for adulthood is healthy relationships healthy relationships and healthy friendships um you know encouraging those those social connections but also as you're talking about your family's experiences and i'm so grateful my parents don't do this but do not loudly blast the hard things about having a child with a disability. Like I'm kind of taken aback, like how cavalier people, uh, parents in particular can be sometimes about saying what they want for their child's reproduction rights. Um, you know, even if your child may appear to be um, nonverbal or um, unable to process the world to what you think, I have yet to find somebody on the spectrum that does not, um, you know, that does not sincerely want to connect with the world. And even if you might not think your kid can understand it, I hear it. Those of us on this panel can hear it. And that impacts us and also reinforces stigma. So just to be mindful, you know, even if your child has a different cognition, they're still your kid. These things can still come out. Um, and so I, if you have a lot of grievances, dumping it privately with a therapist would be like in terms of mitigating your negative impact. So I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but I've just heard that a lot. And I just wanted to put that out there if they're soliciting us for advice. So. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for that insight. That's really, really great. Thank you so much. Um, Daniel, 
Can you um, give us your thoughts? Sure. Um, I mean, it's been great answers so far. So I'm trying to think of, of what there's to add necessarily. And I agree with uh, Josh that this is a tough question. I've gone back and forth on it. And I've really thought a lot about it, um, particularly because I think setting can impact it a lot. Um, when I went to my undergraduate program in college at a university in Canada, I had such great supportive friends around me and a great support system kind of built in that I did really, really well with kind of living outside of my house, being able to do things on my own, being very independent, not really needing my parents' help. So, of course, you know, I, I moved to New Mexico and, you know, I don't know anybody here. I don't really have the same support network. A master's program, as I learned, is completely different. It's a different kind of program, especially when you're doing an internship. And you know, the fact that I was stubborn to begin with meant that, of course, I think I've got everything figured out at 22 or 23, which I realized very quickly I don't. Um, so, you know, I, I think one of the things that would happen is and i really want to encourage people that being independent doesn't mean that you have to have a stigma around what you can't do and i think i still struggle with this that if i can't do something i look at it as a negative thing and i think oh i have to figure out how to do this or i have to try to do this on my own but what i realized especially early on when i got to new mexico a lot of what i was trying to do on my own was actually wearing me out so I would wear myself out trying to do things on my own or trying to get through something that just was not a good fit that was causing me too much additional stress. Um, thankfully, I got to the point where I would end up you know, calling my parents and I became more comfortable with talking to them as I realized that you know, it's great to have a support network around you, but you know, if you have a built-in support, use it. Don't feel ashamed because you have to use a support network. As Katie said, everybody gets some sort of support from somewhere. So I, th I think what my parents um, were able to do, and maybe it helped that they were at a distance, was, you know, largely I talk to them and get their advice. They're not necessarily in a situation where they're going to show up at my door and help me with something. Um the way that they really have been helpful to me and contributed is, is listening. They've always been very good listeners. So if I'm talking to them on the phone about something, they're not necessarily trying to give me a solution or fix whatever's going on. They're just listening and saying, well, here are your options. Here are things you might want to try. Here are different. So still giving me the autonomy to make a choice in that situation. Or when I was younger, and at the time I didn't like this, but I realized how valuable it is now if I went to them with the problem and wanted them to fix it, they would kind of stay out of it. They would tell me, you know, this is something you're going to want to figure out on your own or that you have to figure out on your own. And again, at the time I thought, well, they're my parents. They should solve this for me because I was a teenager at the time, but it really was kind of, I realized about 10, 15 years later, that's actually great advice for life because I'm going to be in those situations where I'm not going to necessarily either A, want a solution to a problem, or B, um, be able to have someone fix it for me, uh, particularly if it comes to mental health issues. I had to learn, okay, you have to figure out what your own preferences and boundaries and those things are. Um, and 
again, I think it taught me about a lot about being an active listener, um, about really figuring out it's not about finding a solution. It's really about what is what direction does someone actually want to go in? Mm -hmm. You know, do they want a solution or do they just need someone to talk to about something? Um, and I think I've become less stubborn. I've become more understanding that independence does not mean you do everything by yourself without help. Um, I don't, I, I think it's actually a very dangerous idea that we've put out there that mm -hmm. independence means you have to figure everything out before you can actually live independently, which really, as we'll kind of explain later, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So mm -hmm. that's how I would answer that question. Can I add something here? Would you Absolutely. mind? Absolutely. Um, I, I want to add that uh, as a female in particular, I spent a lot of energy. Okay, we I think Elshaba cut out again, so we will just give it a couple seconds here and see if she comes back on. Okay. I know out in rural areas, internet pretending to okay. be something uh, that you're not, and that takes an incredible amount of energy. Um, and uh, so I just wanted to add that into the mix. It, I think it happens with men too. I don't think it's just a female thing, but I think it's more of a female thing um, that we see that high level of masking. And, and Daniel's absolutely right. The problem with that is, is that then you don't um, interact with people in ways that let them, you know, tell you their experiences or help you understand what the situation you're in is. And, um, and all of those things are, are very helpful. Um, not having a diagnosis for so many years just meant that I, I was always trying to run to catch up. And, and I, I am, really hopeful that younger people won't have to do as much of that because autism is now a thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Elishaba. And thank you all for your, your perspectives on this, on this particular question. So incredibly important. Um, we do have another question and I'm going to go ahead and read that one. Um, this pertains to living out of the house. Um, what is living out of the house like? Um, who will help me? And maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what it's like to have roommates and just kind of managing all of it in general. So um, I'm going to go ahead and start with Ella Sheva again, um, if you don't mind. I don't. Awesome. So I, I went um, from home to college. I was really anxious. I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. My parents had been very young mm -hmm. um, when, when I was born. And there's a lot to that that I don't need to go into. But um, for that reason, I was anxious to get out of the house. I was also terrified. 
And I didn't know how to manage those two feelings. I can look back on it now and say, yeah, I, I was really naive um, about how the world outside of college worked. And I ended up, I was supposed to have a certain roommate and that roommate elected then not to go to college. So I ended up in my first uh, place um, with a roommate that, that I hadn't chosen and who had no interest in, in being kind to me. And so I wanna talk a bit about bullying um, because I experienced some bullying with her. She ended up stealing, in those days at the dorm, you would get a, a little phone card so that you could make outside phone calls to call home and things like that. And she ended up, you know, putting over a hundred dollars of her long distance phone calls on my card. Um, and trying to manage that a hundred dollars in, you know, the 1970s, that was a lot of money. It's, it's not like today where you can go out to eat and spend practically a hundred dollars. And so it was a big problem. And what was really wonderful was when I was talking to the people at the phone company, there was one guy who took it upon himself to walk me through how to deal with it. And that was the first time I realized, you know, there are people who know things and can help me um, if I ask for it. I hadn't asked for it with him, but he got it that I, I didn't know what to do and I was terrified. Um, you know, with that huge bill. And, and I didn't know how to manage that whole situation. Um, so sometimes you will find people who will step in and I don't know how he decided that he needed to do that, but I call them angels unawares. They sort of show up. <laughs> and um at first I felt like, gosh, this is really bad that I don't know something because I was spending a lot of time asking. And, but, but he helped me see how to walk through this and that, you know, the money that they then sent back to me was mine. Um, all these things that maybe sound very simple, um, but this was in the days before the internet, you had to actually go down there and talk to people. Uh, you know, so it it was the beginning of an awakening that there were people out there who were interested in helping you, even if they really didn't have to. Wow, thank you for sharing that example, Elisheva. I think it really um, gives us a, a, a really good picture of, of some of the things that people deal with, you know. And um, so thank you so much for your response. Um, <clears throat> Joshua, do you have any thoughts? Um, this is also a tough question to answer because I, I still live with my, with my mom and my sister. Um, uh, I think the best I could, the only part I could truly answer is what it would be like to have roommates. Um, so essentially... Uh, li li living with others mm -hmm. can be uh, there's no one to describe it uh, 
complicated, I guess. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, just, I'm going to have to say just complicated. It's because it, it's not just you living in a space. It's you, someone else, and they, and it's living with another person. They may like you. They may be your friend. They may be your enemy. You you could be in a situation that you're, where you're stuck with them or or a situation where you might be separated. And that's um, one other thing about roommates. You can't. You kind of have to, um, and this is something that I would that I was taught from an early age. When you're with someone, you have to like learn to work together to um, cooperate. Co- ah, co- cooperate. Co- I can't say the word today. Cooperate. That's mm-hmm. better. And uh, and communicate and be a team. Basically, mm-hmm. it's uh, it it, it could be interesting to say the least since if you're living with someone else and they don't do this just one night and you could end up getting frustrated because you have you know an important person coming over and you have to take care of their chore but um it can also be um it could, it could also be something that could could be used as a lesson or a way of teaching you how how to cope with others in in situations that, such as living, or situations as such as having a friend. In be, being with others, others and learning to be a team with roommates or anyone else in general, is actually a really good uh, a, a good a good social aspect for many people, even some people that are artistic. Uh, I know it's not for everyone, but it's a uh, it's it's a it's a lesson that um I think should be taught early in life on, on how to work with others, even if you don't always agree. And I think that's actually um both a blessing and a curse because you're loud and I'm quiet. So that's that's actually my answer on that. But as for how to manage um living on your own i have a small idea on how on how that could work i mean well it, it can work for many people obviously um but being on your own is not is like daniel said earlier it's not just about being independent you're not like on your own just to be on your own you you're not doing everything by yourself you have help from anyone mm-hmm it's not all about it's not all about oh this thing broke well i'm going to fix all of it myself no you always have to have some kind of help and even even if you like live alone say like say in a cabin in the woods somewhere you have a town nearby for groceries or anything else like that or if you live alone in a house or an apartment you always have like um you always have like a neighbor or a friend or someone to help you to your job or someone to help you with this or you always have this um circle of something even if you think you're alone and and learning to be independent on your own that's something that all that that your team or roommates or family or whatever can also can also help you out with Mm -hmm. um if like as you're growing up because even though you're trying to live to with you're trying to live with other people you also need to learn how to live with yourself is essentially and you also learn how to do 
yeah, still have to learn to do things for yourself. And that could be challenging, but it's useful. Mm -hmm. Wow, such great points, Joshua. I really like how you talked about working together um, mm -hmm. with other people as well. It's so, so important. Thanks yeah. so much. Mm -hmm. um, Katie, would you like to, to add anything? All these questions are like Matryoshka dolls, like those little nesting Russian dolls where it's like, we could have an entire <laughs> podcast on roommates alone. Um, but I wanted to just touch on a couple of things. Uh, you know, um, I really wanted to reinforce what Daniel said and that American hardcore independence is a myth. I mean, we like to celebrate Independence Day. And I know I just made a lot of people in Alaska upset about this, but that we have this myth that like people like live on their own, die on their own. There's mountain men. And there are some people who are like that, but I got to tell you as somebody that worked in emergency preparedness, uh, uh, the minute that there's a tsunami or an earthquake, people are asking the state or the government for help. So like even the people are like, there's a wildfire in the woods. So it, it's so weird. Cause like you look at American history and like people weren't walking the Oregon trail, by themselves, you know, indigenous communities were always communal. And there's a reason for that because humans are dependent on other people for survival. So I've really had to like deprogram that. And like, you know, yes, there's different levels of independence where like, I do dress myself, I'm able to bathe myself, but none of this happens overnight, you know? And I also like, you know, I appreciate uh, Joshua's perspective in terms of, you know, I think there's no shame if your family has the resources to boomerang back and forth. Or, I mean, I was a glorified boomerang. Like, I don't think I lived outside of the house until I was 29 and moved to Alaska officially moving all my stuff out of the house because in between jobs abroad, I didn't have a place to go. And so I would be back in my parents' guest room. You know, if your family has the resources, and again, that goes back to the conversation, if they can do that and if that would be best for them. So anyways, what living out of the house is like, it can be lonely and really liberating. Um, there are some things I, uh, that I do appreciate about the privacy, um, like touching on some of the things about like what parents can and can help with. There's some things I don't want my parents to know as I'm figuring it out. And I don't think that's an autism thing, but some things like relationships, for example, um, or we have our, they have their own um, emotional needs and insecurities. And so we have some areas where I know we're prone to having arguments. And so I tend to shut down the conversation before we get into those areas. Um, so, but I've liked that I've been able to pick where I've wanted to live and one of the reasons why I did global health and working abroad was for me, there were less barriers as somebody that was, uh, took a long time to learn how to drive on the highway, um, uh, or like learning how to drive. And I'll touch a little bit more on that when we talk about careers, but that's, what's been so cool is like, I get to pick in Alaska cause I like Alaska. I consent to Alaska. Um, there are some challenges with that though. Um, as somebody who is a younger female, um, there are security risks that I've unfortunately had to deal with, um, uh, in addition to having a delayed cognitive processing in some things. Um, so it, it's both good and, and challenging. It's the best occupational therapy you're ever going to have, like experimenting <laughs> on things. Um, but you know, in terms of who will help me again, that village, we have this thing in public health called community mapping where we ask organizations to like write down, okay, who are the um, other members in a community or other um, 
organizations, government programs that could help you if you had a challenge. And, you know, I'm kind of tempted hearing this conversation to do that for myself about what professionals do I have? What friends, what um, other contacts that I have? Um, but there are a lot of people that are willing to help and ask. So I'll just give a quick example. Um, I had to go under anesthesia. I was diagnosed with a chronic illness when I was 25. And when I was first diagnosed, you know, I figured out uh, I was in graduate school at the time and I learned how to manage this. I was like, okay, I just take a lift and, 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 and you know, are one of those Ubers taxis, but you can't do that because you're under anesthesia. So they need to make sure that you get out. And so I was looking absolutely freaked in the common area and my assistant Dean comes up. I didn't want to tell friends because it was midterms and people were overwhelmed. And I also being in a master's in public health program, possibly finding that you have a precancerous condition would be pretty terrifying. Um, and the Dean of graduate education just came over and I'm like, I don't know what to do. My, my family has other issues. I don't want them to fly out to Tucson. And, uh, they, they were dealing with something else at the time. And so I called a friend that didn't, was, uh, rational enough to know that I wasn't going to die. Like, you know, just a pragmatic person to sound bored with this and be that emotional support. But the Dean actually was the one that took her day off and like came and sat with me. And then I found a friend to do um, the uh, the other two procedures. Um, and then when I had, I have to repeat that procedure every couple of years to make sure things are fine. And so mm -hmm. I moved to Alaska. Uh, I was actually the leader of my faith community. First time I ever met him was when I was groggy off of anesthesia. But it's like I had to ask via email, like, hey, this is what I need specifically. Can you help? And that's something that's like, you know, I usually would be able to drive. I usually would be able to do those things, but no human is supposed to go anywhere on anesthesia. It's not just an autism thing. And if you do feel awkward, you know, paying it forward and helping other people, like I always try to like make myself available or offer myself to help others, you know, um, just so I don't feel like I am the burden. And I found that that's very helpful. Again, roommates, I'm just going to try and keep this very brief. I've had 17 so far. Um, they've both been great. They've both been also not so great because it, you're also figuring out how to live. They're also trying to figure out how to live as a young adult and you get all the fun things, um, all the relationships, all the how to clean. Um, I'm now at the point of my life where it's like, if I have the money and the funding, I would prefer to live alone. Or if I'm moving with somebody, it's going to be a very serious partner. <laughs> Um, because I want roommates that I can know. Um, and it's also kind of a challenge because my family didn't consent to autism. I didn't consent to autism, but roommates are going to consent to autism if they allow me to be a part of this living arrangement. And that's where a lot of my challenges come out. Like I am restarting occupational therapy just because I've learned how to manage a career and like put all my energy for that, but how to exercise, how to keep a place clean. I'm still learning those lessons. And for the things that I want to do in my life as a naturally messy person, I want to be able to address those issues. And so there are still, yes, you can still go to occupational therapy, even in your, in your thirties. Um, there seems to be this myth of like, okay, you made it out of high school. You don't need any more support. No, like you can still, I still go to therapy. I still go to occupational therapy. And then all this might seem really overwhelming and I get it. Like I also was like very hesitant to like leave the house. Um, and I honestly don't take a lot of pride in being independent. You know, I would rather be more connected to other people. Um, and I found that out working abroad where in more communal cultures that that's what speaks to me. Um, 
but how you manage the stuff, you really just do. Like we had a conversation planning for this podcast where Joshua brought up uh, what I thought was going to be my worst case scenario uh, life situation. And I had to deal with that this year um, without giving too many details, but you do it. And I know as somebody who lives with an anxiety disorder that it's so hard to think about and navigate, but you have years of adapting and sorting out environments that are not made for you. Um, we are also have years and generations of disabled activists and things like ADA. Like we have made a lot of progress and we have a lot of tools to pull from. And we have people who may like Elisheva who may not have known that they were on the spectrum uh, or living with different disabilities. And they um, are, they've also contributed and helped people and build these things. Um, but never underestimate your strength as an autistic. Like, remember how everybody was freaked about COVID when um, it interrupted everybody's routine? I saw a sign that, that somebody on the spectrum, a little kid had uh, on social media when it came out. And it's like, yeah, having interruptions in your routine isn't fun, right? Now you know what it's like to be autistic. Whereas all of us was like, well, this is our, our Tuesday. We're going to figure this out. Um, and so just keep showing up and owning to this. And just remember, because mental health is such a huge problem, um, especially for autistics, uh, every bad feeling towards a problem is temporary. You can get through this. And autism or not, everybody's trying to figure out this life thing. Um, and though I am against suffering, uh, it, you know, there's some forms of like life experiences that I find add no value, like violence. I'd rather have some problems because that would make life, uh, very boring if it didn't. I like having challenges. And one of the joys of being autistic, last thing I'll say on this point is these joys of little victories. Like I do not take it for granted on bad days. I remember what it was like when I was five and couldn't enter a room with a fire alarm and my parents were home-based um, or when I could barely process and was so agitated at age nine and couldn't even get through a therapist's office. Uh, you know, we have come through so much, even if you're so new to the spectrum or even if you've lived there for many years, but like, I'll just brag on myself. Like I drove for the first time on a highway by myself last night uh, ever, uh, at almost 31. And that's something people would just think, oh, okay, well, that's my Tuesday. But for me to know what it took to get to that point, I'm tearing up. Like, those are the things that it's like, I am, I find a lot more gratitude in life. Um, and I'm just a much more grateful person naturally than other people, because I know how much effort it takes to get there. And it is more rewarding, um, in my experience. So Wow, thank you so much, Katie. Always such great perspective. Um, Daniel, would you like to share your thoughts with us? Sure. So um, what it's like, and I'll address the roommates part of this, mm -hmm. is um, I think something that, again, I know I always felt like this was kind of taught to us when we were younger, is that it's your job to kind of fit in with whatever the situation is. But I think something I've learned and something that I wish we do a better job of teaching is that it's not about trying to fit into the quote unquote ideal or perfect situation for th that we kind of will set up this situation as, well, this is the perfect situation and everyone should aim for that. 
we don't teach enough about, well, how do you figure out how to fit into the right situation for you? And I think roommates, mm -hmm. it's very much like that. And I don't think that's just an autistic thing. I think that's everyone we teach mm -hmm. that to. And I think we, it's kind of, it's detrimental, I think. We don't teach people, for example, with college that it's not about finding the perfect school or the best school. It's about how do you ask the right questions to find the right program and the right schools for you, even if it might not be a school that anyone knows about. Um, I know my school was one that wasn't particularly well-known, still isn't, but it was the perfect environment for me to be in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen very different situations roommates you know no two roommates are, are going to be the same there's very different mm -hmm. people like katie said they're figuring things out at the same time that you're figuring them out mm -hmm. i've seen some situations where there were very informal rules and very informal roles and there wasn't really anything that was defined and then there's others where the roommates had very defined responsibilities that they laid out for everyone and they had defined expectations for when people would do things and what they want to do. And it's not that one is better than the other. You have to figure out which one fits you best. Um, and I think there's skills that can be learned. Again, I, I think that the idea that you have to be ready to live on your own doesn't really work all that well, because I don't think most of us, if we had to meet that standard, would be quote unquote, ready enough to actually live on our own because you learn things by doing them. But I think, you know, learning what your own strengths, weaknesses and learning styles are. Again, I think we spend way too much time on trying to, well, how do you, how do you meet the standard of either perfection or of, of, you know, best as opposed to well, wait how do i figure out what my own style is and my strengths my weaknesses and how is that going to fit into me living with someone else mm -hmm. um how do i you know how do i find the right fit with another person um and how do i ask the right questions again it's it's i, I think we we get everything in reverse we think about well how do we answer questions correctly about ourselves or how do we give the right answer so that people will you know kind of accept us as opposed to well, wait how do i ask the right questions so i know that i'm going into the right situation to begin with mm -hmm. you know i've i've put myself in some very bad situations by trying by getting too desperate to fit into a situation that just wasn't a good fit and that instead of saying this isn't a good fit i need to not pursue this i would say but this is you know this is somehow a step up or this is the best situation I can go into according to other people. So I need to pursue it, even if it really wasn't, you know, I look back and I say, why did I even bother doing that? Um, one thing to keep in mind about roommates is they can be people that you go to when you need help and they can kind of be your natural supports in a way they don't. Um, and, and I guess being honest also, again, don't try to fit yourself into a situation that doesn't work for you. you make sure communication is a key. Um, I, th I think, you know, if you find the right people, you can have great supports out there. You can have people that become like family and that will stick up for you and will defend you and will make sure that, that your strengths are the things that are the focus of everything. Mm -hmm. And they'll make sure that you feel supported and you feel you know, and kind of it becomes like a judgment-free zone almost. 
So I really think that's the key. Um, of course, you know, I, I don't really think about this much with this question, but once, you know, as, as a, when I became a parent, all that stuff gets thrown out the window because then you're starting all over again. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing with having a child. I mean, you have to kind of negotiate your personality with theirs and figure out, okay, what's the right mix that fits together. Um, and I think that's a great example, again, of you don't set a standard of, well, you have to be prepared to live on your own before you can live on your own. Because I don't think as a parent, I I still don't feel prepared for it. And my son's now seven. So uh, I, I think you have to give people an experience of going through a lot of those things. I think if we overprotect people and say, well, we don't think this person can live on their own, so we're not going to let them, then they're never going to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Such great points, Daniel. Super, super appreciated. Thank you so much. Okay. <clears throat> well, we do have one last question here that that we'd all like you to um, maybe pitch in on a little bit. Um, and I think this is a great sort of segue um, out of the last um, the last question that we talked about. Um, and it's, what is it like to go out into the world? Um, maybe talk about college or work or friends. Um, let's start again with Elisheva. Oh, wow. I feel like, um, first of all, I, I want to just segue a little bit with what Daniel said about children, um, mm -hmm. because I have two, one of them is very different than me and 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 uh both of them have uh disabilities one has a hearing disability in the speech range and and then the other one has autism um so i just want to say that with parenting i think all bets are off and i don't think anybody you know that i mean i will never be the perfect mother and I think I had a lot better time once I realized that trying to be like these other mothers wasn't going to work for me. Um, so I'll just say that now. Um, can you say again, um, please, Lynn? Sure, I'll repeat the question. Um, what is it like to go out in the world? What is it like to go out into the world? And we could talk about college or work or friends or anything that you would like to add. Okay, so going out into the world I feel like I'm still going out into the world. Mm. Um, and and, and I, I want to start with that because I don't think it's like something that's ever done. The world just becomes bigger and different. And I think at first, um, and for quite a lot of my life until I reached like maybe 50, I was so consumed with trying to fit in um, and a lot of it was because I had no idea why I didn't um, and, and why I was so different. There were a couple of situations, however, in that, like when I first, uh, when I, I switched universities, um, because the university I, I was at was not working. It was a very Tony kind of, um, you know, female uh, college uh and and it was all clothes and sports and 
that kind of thing. And, and so one thing I did, and it took a lot of courage, and my parents were not very happy about it because they were so impressed that they'd gotten a kid into college at all and into this, you know, kind of Tony college. And um, so I, uh, I went to the state university and I ended up in a dorm on the floor with uh, where my roommate was a business major, but all of her friends were uh, special educators. And so in, in dealing with them first, I developed a, a respect for education um, in a different way because I was like, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to do that. They get paid so badly and they're, you know, all that. But I also saw how they were figuring things out. And at the same time, I learned that people can be vastly different um, and 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 still manage in the world um, because of those special educators. Even though autism wasn't really well known, other things were. Um, and so that was part of learning that the world isn't always that scary place. Um, the I think the other thing was uh, when I finally decided I had I have like a, a million degrees no it's not a million but quite a few degrees because I just kept going to university um, because it was a safe place I had learned how it worked and um, so I'd get a degree and then I'd go back and get another degree and I also in that way worked for the university and it was all UNM um you know, I moved to the the um, Southwest because I wanted to get sunshine. That was another thing I learned that, you know, different people have different ways of managing. And I was not managing well at all with the Midwest because we would have months on end of cloudiness, but not happy snow or anything. It would be ice storms and this and that, mud, I mean, all of that. And so I, I moved to the Southwest and I found that the culture was more accommodating to me than the Midwest. Um, and um, that being different wasn't as big of a deal. It's still a deal in universities and I'm not gonna pretend it isn't. And you'll still have professors that you just can't deal with um, and, uh, but I found people who would tell me, you know, you're probably not going to get along with so-and-so. Don't take his classes. Take them with so-and-so, you know, this other professor. So I think in a way, and I see it, um, my daughter is now, a, was a geek handler um, for a, a really big industry that in Albuquerque for a while. And as a geek handler, what she did was she handled people like me. <laughs> and, um, um, and she did that, only this was done, you know, like if somebody had a problem at, at the national labs, they would call up, uh, you know, the geek handlers basically, and the geek handlers would handle it and help them handle it. And so being among the geeky people of the world, 
Um, you know, I, I learned that that there are people that may not have diagnoses like mine, but they probably have some diagnosis. Maybe they're never diagnosed, but they're different and that that's okay. And that, you know, there are people out there who can help you navigate the world. And I think that's a really important thing about going out into the world. Find those people and know that not every situation you're in is right for you. And, and, and that's okay. Um, and as for independence, um, I think that independence is a really important trait for someone's rights. You know, when, when you're dealing with rights and, and the ability to make decisions about your own life to the extent that you can. That's what independence means to me. But independence does not mean you're going to go off and live in a bunker all by yourself. Um, there's a world out there. And the only way to really interact with that world is to get to know people and to have relationships and not all of them are going to be good. And you're going to have a string of bad relationships. But guess what? The whole world has strings of bad relationships behind them, things that didn't work out. So although we see the world in different ways because of how our brains work, a lot of our problems are similar. Um, the difference was a lot of us were raised to think that the problem was all us. But really the problem is an old human problem of socializing, of figuring out where you fit. How long can I stay out with these people? Should I go and um, get drunk? And I'll tell you that for me, that wasn't, I, I did it once and um, ended up worshiping the porcelain God, as we used to say and uh, realized that this just was not something I was happy doing. Um, um, but all of us have to find what, what, are our, what are our barriers? How do we cross them? Which ones do we want to cross? Because we can't fight every battle in the world. You know, my mother used to say occasionally to me, pick your battles, you know, pick your battles. And, and, and other than that, you know, do the things I would say to everyone and particularly people with autism, do the things that make you happy. If you like to rock, rock the hell with what the rest of the world says. You know, um, I've sat as a teacher of kids with autism, I've sat with a lot of students whose parents are sitting there going, stop that. Stop fidgeting, stop. And I'm like, what? why is it so important to stop fidgeting? You know, um, there were really people who made major breakthroughs who fidgeted, like Thomas Edison, for example. <laughs> you know, he spent a lot of time fidgeting and he took short naps and he did all kinds of other weird stuff. And, you know, um, he wasn't perfect either. But he did, you know, he did invent some really important things. Um, so why is it that rocking, that self-soothing, that all of those things are bad? 
I think we are, you know, here to tell the world, look, um, people move, people do these things. Um, I think there's a lot of repression. And I think that by being different sometimes, we actually can lead the way on some things. Um, but everybody's, you know, everybody's got their foilables. Everybody has things that bother them. Um, you know, wool skirts were mine. <laughs> I could not wear a wool skirt to save my life. It itched even if I was wearing tights, for example. So why do I have to wear a wool skirt, you know? Um, so I think that the world that we're making now maybe is, a, you know, we, we've got a lot of problems right at the moment, but problems are things to solve. Mm -hmm. um, to the extent we can and to learn how to live with the fact that perfection doesn't exist. I like it that in, I, I happen to teach uh, the Hebrew language and, and one of the things about the Hebrew language that's so interesting is there's no word for perfect. Everything that's translated into English as perfect, it doesn't mean that, trust me. <laughs> I think it would be good for us to recognize that we are who we are um, and maybe getting older like I am makes it more comfortable for me um, to say that I am who I am. There are certain things I like. There are certain things I don't like. And I have the opportunity to be able to manage my world the way I want now. Um, and, and so someday, no matter how stressful things may seem now, there's a, there's an escape there. There are ways to manage it. I think other people help, but I think it starts with us saying, this is, this is who I am. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. Mm -hmm. And, um, and getting to the point where it's okay to say that. Like Katie, I don't like the winter holidays at all. Um, fortunately, I don't have to celebrate them <laughs> you know, because I'm a grown up now and I can make decisions about what social situations I'll put myself in, um, what situations I won't. And sometimes it can be very painful, but it's true because I grew up in an extremely dysfunctional family. And I will tell you, there are times when it's, you just have to cut the cord mm -hmm. and, and walk away from a really dysfunctional situation mm -hmm. and just hope that maybe someday they'll be able to associate with those people again in a different mm -hmm. way. So that's all mm -hmm. my advice i could go on forever but i'll stop here because i'm quite anxious to hear what other people have to say <laughs> thank you elisheva joshua would you like to share your thoughts with us oh, okay um let's see what can i say about what it's like to go out in the world uh mm -hmm. I'd rather stay on my own, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't, I don't know very much. But I know that it is definitely going to be 
different than what you're used to. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be many ups and downs. What matters is how you how you handle them and what you learn from them and how you can use them. Uh, as for um, as for easier questions, I can answer. Uh, one is about ha having friends. Uh, sure, friends like friends always come and go, but the but there are also some friends that um you that you enjoy having around that you can relate to. For example, I have um there, there's a there's a very good friend of mine. We're going to go on this this long best buddies walk tomorrow um but uh he, he's also autistic and he and i have been friends since we met since we met each other in in, in a social group i used to do in high school mm -hmm. and uh talking with him doing doing what i doing what i enjoy with him and spending time with him and and other friends that I have, there mm -hmm. there's several others. Uh, it's 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 nice to have one because it's nice to be able to relate to someone on a level that no that other people, sometimes your family, sometimes your therapist, sometimes even your other friends that are very close to you won't really get because you have you have that similarity, you have something in common, you have something that connects you. Mm -hmm. And you and you know each other so well, and you know how the other one works. It's it's that's a great friend to have around. As for as for work, work can also be an, an interesting challenge. Uh, for example, like interacting with uh, people. Let let's say, for example, you work in. This is definitely not the job for me, but what's Let's say if you work in the um, customer service industry, industry like a uh, like a server or a waiter, mm -hmm. or someone that someone that interacts with people more than actually sitting behind a desk or doing anything like that. Um, this goes back to the whole anxiety or fear of social um, situations, and it that takes a lot of adapting, a lot of uh, patience, and a lot of willpower not to freak out or something uh because that that is just when it's scary but it's also challenging and it's also something that could be used mm -hmm. for practice to improve yourself right great points josh and friendship is so extremely important thank you so much you're welcome katie you have some thoughts you'd like to share? Yes. Another big question. <laughs> um, like, what is it like to go out into the world? Um, it, it's been interesting to enter adulthood. Um, so a few things I wanted to touch on um, that Elisha really tied into and Joshua did as well. Um, realizing that my actions impact other people. And I learned that as a the oldest of four kids but either people have not gotten that lesson yet or we haven't gotten that lesson yet. And what I've learned is I used to think that the world needed to accommodate for me, but I also have to accommodate for the world as there's this balance. And like as somebody who sincerely wants to connect with the world, like we do have to adopt our behavior. Everybody does um, in different circumstances. And so like 
there are some different things with stimming. That's one of the nice things about like being by myself is that I can stim or I can do things that are just, that would be very hard to explain. Um, but you know, if your stimming is distracting students in a classroom, I was just a substitute teacher for two months. <laughs> or like if your stimming is causing distress, like I remember in child psychology in college, there was um, somebody that the case study was somebody who was stimming that looked like the universal sign for choking. We can't have that. Like that, that is something that we need to like find other ways to adapt and to do things, you know, because that could, that would cause trauma and distress for other people. You know, there are many other ways to process and do things. So I, I have just, but that's just, again, my background as somebody who grew up with autism, who grew up with other disabilities. Um, but it's been very interesting uh, because autism has become extremely common. I used to have this playbook of like, okay, you're going to come to me and I'll explain specific behaviors. And I've, from a family of educators, I've had to teach people what autism is my entire life. And now there's so many voices, especially for women and people who are non-binary on the spectrum um, who are diagnosed late and are just experiencing the surge of pride. And so it's just been very interesting um, and seeing like knowing what battles I want to pick and <laughs> learning how so many people have not really learned the battles. Like to me, language doesn't matter. What matters is how you treat people. And then that's going to reflect your bias. And can people get jobs and employment, whether you're a person first or person first language? You know, that's that's kind of where I'm I'm at. Um, but again, uh, you know, different people, different perspectives. And then, you know, I think there's like I really wanted to touch on what um, both Daniel and Elisheva said was about um, doing what works best for you. Like I've definitely felt guilt about being a Burkenya that's left the state. Like there's a lot of pressure. And I think in older generations to stay where you are and like to stay and contribute to your community. And so to kind of um, move into my college experience, um, it turned out to be one of the best decisions I did was to get out of New Mexico. One, I love New Mexico a lot more now that I've been able to go back and appreciate it. Um, and, you know, I think there's different environments that work for different people. So uh, this is not to like endorse my, my alma mater, but I went to Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. It's a public liberal arts college. And it's three and a half hours um, away from home. And so it was the perfect distance. It was the perfect size. Um, while UNM was starting an autism program, I wanted to kind of learn how to identify, well, not kind of, I wanted to learn how to like process myself. And growing up in Albuquerque where people knew I was autistic before I knew I was autistic and what that meant just because I was in such a small community. And again, it was rare. So my parents had to like tell teachers um, this so they could better support me. Um, you know, being able to get close enough, but far enough at the same time was occupational therapy, like some of the best. Um, and also being a patient at programs for children at UNM, I am so grateful. I always will be for UNM, but as somebody that wanted to study psychology, I needed to have like my own slate and like, especially because there were, there's a lot of bias and negative bias in psychology towards autism. I think it's getting better. It was the right decision. Um, and then living on campus and social I was involved in so many different registered student organizations and clubs. Um, and it was, I was, I would show up and that's how I would make friends. Um, so even though my living situation, it's one of the reasons why I had over 17 roommates um, with the different dorms um, because I went to a small school, I was more able to get access to global experiences and I got to do a lot more disability advocacy. Like 
I identify more as disabled and autistic because a lot of the barriers that I experience are also shared by people who are deaf, who are hearing impaired, who are vision, uh, vision, I'm sorry, experience vision loss or hearing loss and our blindness. And so I don't want to succeed at the expense of others that also struggle with these things. And I think it's so easy to get stuck in the autism box um, without realizing what's you know, what is there. Um, and those uh, advocacy skills, advocacy skills really helped me in graduate school, where I went to a large research one institution, one of the largest in the country. And there's this myth, it's like, oh, you make it to master's degree status, you don't need any disability services, like you're, you're good, we can check off the box unless like you, you need like, to figure out how to get a, a wheelchair into a classroom. And that was not the case, but I had to learn and find my supports because the disability program didn't know how to support graduate students. Um, I wanted to really talk more about work and friendships, um, but being mindful of time. One of the greatest things about becoming an adult though is learning how I could profit off of my fixation or generalized interests. Like I love history, geography, and culture. And so going abroad and working in global health and also I got, I learned my social skills through community service and supporting and helping others. Uh, that is human interaction does fill my cup. I know I might be a little bit of a paradoxical autistic in that way. Um, but I found that there were less barriers to me working abroad than there were in the United States because all these social cues in the American workplace, which I've struggled with since COVID, you know, um, when I would work in sub-Saharan Africa, making eye contact as a woman is actually like a very suggestive matter, me measure. So like I was taken more as a professional and I got my, kept myself out of trouble because of my limited eye contact. Um, if I said a joke wrong, well, I'm a foreigner. Of course I'm going to say a joke wrong or I am going to say things that are different. And just being very blunt and being very explicit about like why grants were getting cut or, you know, it was something that was welcomed. Um, whereas I'm struggling with the United States where I, the hardest parts of working abroad was working with other Americans who had their own biases of what disability and autism were. And so I found more comfort working with people and um, other, other forms of disability. Um, and that's the thing, like people abroad in other countries, they also are figuring out how to navigate these new environments that you are as people with disability, those that have, um, uh, those that live with uh, the same disabilities, like there are, are autistics in Africa, there are autistics in every country in the world and um, have had that same living knowledge of how to navigate things and other disabilities as well. Um, I definitely think also the remote work has been really hard since COVID because it's so, so hard to figure out social cues. Um, really want to touch on friendships as that, I think that's the big thing that I can bring to the table, but, uh, it was hard growing up in the 1990s. You know, um, I think we were raised with the sitcom friends and like, you had like this assumption of friends for life. You'd be in each other's weddings and well, I've moved a lot. I've worked in six different countries and, you know, having a lot of long distance friendships is, um, I've realized that the whole myth of like best friends forever, which is what the prize of like a lot of women want. Um, you know, I've gotten more comfort out of having what I call the seven sisters, which are like various women, but they don't necessarily have to be women in my life uh, that I can just ping questions off of or counsels of like, I really trust their life advice um, on different areas. Um, 
And I found when I was working abroad, actually people tried to disclose to me more of their experiences. And I built friendships by listening and also being vulnerable about how I'm not perfect, how I do struggle. And having, um, you know, I have a lot of friends that also experience a lot of challenges in American society, like people of color and members of the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community, other disabilities, like I said. Um, but the big thing is making the effort and finding some reciprocation. And I think that's like, and it looks different for every single person, um, like keeping score of like, well, if I do this, my friend has to do this for me. You know, do you both get meaning and friendship? Do they, you know, do people still, um, you're not the only one that's making contact with them. Um, and it might come and it might cycle and things can change as life ebbs and flows. Um, but the big thing I would just say in terms of like suggestions for friendships for autistics, please get off social media and outside the bubble um, because it's so hard to find social cues on Instagram and on text. Um, and, you know, just join clubs. There's a lot of people that share your fixations that aren't autistic and there's things that you can do. Um, you know, the sky is the, the limit, but I just see social media, we get so comfortable with it um, and it's so hard to see. So I want to be mindful of Daniel's time too, but there's more I could say, I'm sure. Thank you, Katie. Daniel. No, I, it sounds like we have it all covered. I can go home. Um, just a couple of quick things. Um, I, I, I love the answers we've gotten, but um, I know for me, it really depends on the people. Um, I can relate a lot to Katie's experience because I went to college in a different country. I did that very much on purpose because I felt like where I was, I was stuck in a bubble. Um, I couldn't get out of. I didn't know what to do. I didn't really have any close friends. I didn't feel like I connected with people. Um, and to give my parents credit, they were very, very supportive of that decision um, to the point where they went up and they would help me with um, visiting schools and, and, and would, you know, set up... Uh, opportunities for me to talk to students on my own, which was really, I, I really appreciated. Um, but I lucked out because I ended up with the international student um, population, which I didn't honestly even think about, but I couldn't have asked for a better situation. They were learning about a lot of the social norms that I was trying to learn about. They really became like family. I mean, I, I, I always say they helped me grow up and learn a lot about myself. And there was so many, so much great advice on pretty much everything. Um, they they kind of made me a more complete person. Um, and like Ellie Sheva said, academics were great because that was my escape from everything was, was academic learning. That's how I escaped from, you know, social situations were going bad. I'd pour myself into academics. Um, so they had uh, small class sizes, they had discussion groups of 20 or less for every single class, even the introductory ones. I remember a class where there were six of us and there were multiple professors for this class of six people. It was just amazing. But yeah, I, I couldn't have asked for a better group of people to be around. It still shapes how I look at things today uh, to the point where I would say if, the, if someone was to ask me, you know, who are some really great people in the world, I'd probably just list off the people I met there um, I can't emphasize that enough. And I mentioned moving to New Mexico was tough because it was tough because I was really on my own, own, like I really didn't have any connections. But I think also, I, like I said, I didn't help my own cause. 
by trying to do so much myself, but I kind of overloaded myself with the with the teacher internship class master's program. Doing one of those at once is hard. Doing both at once was just a complete overload. Um, what kind of saved me there was taking a break from academics and going into the AmeriCorps VISTA program with the Center for Self-Advocacy. And I can't emphasize enough that the AmeriCorps VISTA program is a great way to gain experience with organizations and to put yourself out there and to do things you normally wouldn't have a chance to do. Um, AmeriCorps period is like that, but AmeriCorps VISTA was really like that because I could rebuild myself from the ground up. I re could rebuild my confidence, my career, rebuild my social networks and really get to know people who I realized, oh, wait, there's all these great people here that I never interacted with. And now that I'm in this program and I'm meeting all of them, I'm all of a sudden learning about that. I mean, the whole community I'm connected to now, I never would have been connected to if I hadn't done the AmeriCorps VISTA program and taken a break from kind of that academic setting or taking a break from, you know, deciding maybe teaching isn't for me. I need to do something else. So I think, you know, there's definitely some difficulties along the way. You can meet people like Ali Sheva said that could bully you or outright take advantage of you or that you, you know, you really want to get to know people. So you, you kind of give them too much trust, but as hard as it was, that also taught me a lot about who to look for in a person and what experiences were meaningful. Um, it, it really helped me learn, okay, who are my friends? Who are the people I can trust? Who are the people that really care? Um, and it got me away from, okay, I'm longing for this community that I used to have into, well, I found my new community. I found this new life for myself. And I, it was, I was proud of myself because I was able to do it without it being kind of laid out for me ahead of time. I was so stuck in this idea that I had to lay out my path and follow what I had laid out as opposed to just saying, well, you know what, maybe you don't know what you're going to do next, but you'll find your way somehow. And again, I still struggle with some things. Um, I still, you know, you won't know everything. That's okay. Um, I had to become okay with that, but that's, that's normal. You won't know everything. You won't know where you're going to go necessarily. You won't know what your path is going to be like. You won't even necessarily know um, that you can trust every single person, but it's okay. Um, again, accept support. Support is a natural part of dealing with the world. And there's nothing wrong with, with accepting support from the people around you and being willing to say, I don't know what to do or how to do this or I just need more help. I think I've gotten more um, mental health supports and assistance and formal and informal help now than I've ever had. And I'm in a healthier place than I've ever been. So I, I, I don't think you ever have to worry about getting too much help, but that's all I have to say. Thank you so much, Daniel. And, and thank you to our, to our panel. Um, such great dialogue and such just amazing points brought up and, and um, thoughts shared. And um, I just want to tell you all that I'm extremely honored to have shared this space with you all today. Thank you so, so much. Um, again, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to thank our brilliant panel again for joining us today at Autism Conversations. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in today to this wonderful conversation. 
Um, we invite you all to check out our other podcasts on the autism, pro autism programs portal and on Spotify. Um, if you're seeking autism-based resources and supports, please contact the Autism Family and Provider Resource Team at 505-272-1852. If you're on social media, please visit the Center for Development um, and Disability Facebook page. Um, be sure to like our page and follow us, and we post links for accessing our podcasts and trainings. Uh, this is Lynn Wilson again. And um, please join us next time for another segment of Autism Conversations. Thank you again.